Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend and welcome everybody watching online as well. Good to have you guys here. If I haven't met you before, my name's Jeff, one of the pastors here. And uh, I've been on the road a lot this summer, not vacationing, so don't say that, I'll punch you. Uh, but uh, working and actually leading uh, conferences, that song we just sang, Grave to Gardens, if you wanna just get a thrill, uh, sing that in a room with uh, five, 600 teenagers pouring their hearts out, and uh, you'll see that, the full power of that song, but I loved it and uh, love being a part of it. But it's good to be home. I went away for a little bit and I came home and half the church building's gone. So what I'm saying is, I don't know who I left in charge, but they misplaced that. And uh, I wanna talk to you guys about that just for a second before we get rolling. So uh, you can see that we tore down the nursery wing and uh, you can see that they have most of the hole dug for the, the athletic facility and the new nurseries that are gonna go in there and uh, that the, the new exits are open as well. And so we'll kind of roll with uh, construction here for the next 18, 24 months as we go throughout that. But as we do that, um, and as we uh, have services and don't have much of a lobby and all that kind of stuff, I need you to do me a favor, all right? So uh, we're gonna have to uh, talk and think through a little bit how, if you're live in the room here, how we kind of function because we've lost our back doors. So if you go out those back doors, if there's an emergency, you can go out those back doors and you can go left and you can get out of the building real quick, but you can't go right. So you can't get over to the restrooms or out to that side of the building anymore. And you are not gonna be able to do that for a couple years. And part of what that means is, is that it's really, really hard to duck in and out of our services without that being kind of hyper disruptive. So we just want you to know that, that for the, for the foreseeable future, till we're kind of back to normal, if there's any way that you can kind of stay in service through the whole service until we say, you know, good night Cleveland, we'll see you next week. Uh, until we do that, that would be helpful to everybody around you. If you have to duck out for some reason, because sometimes the kids need to go out or the restroom or those kind of things, uh, try to use the, the doors back there by the kitchen. So kind of go backwards. And then when you come back in, if you could stay in the back, that would be really helpful because going this way, you can kind of see it, like you just can't uh, do that without being noticed in any way. So we just wanted to talk about that for a second, see if we can kind of change a couple habits and, uh, and function that way until we kind of get our building back and then some of our normal flows, we won't have to talk about that stuff anymore. And it's gonna be awesome when it's done. Uh, you saw 660 kids come through sports camp. Uh, you just saw on the video, we had 550 kids in Bible camp. We've seen over 100 children come to know Christ this last summer. And so it's amazing what we're able to do. And it's a little bit complicated how we're doing it, but we'll get through it. And then those new tools and resources will be opened up and we'll be ready to go, okay? So just keep that in mind. And uh, I think that'll be helpful for all of us. Well, we're in a series right now called the call, and we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. We talked about 
this call from God. He's looking for us. He loves us. Last weekend, Pastor Brad walked us through this idea that the culture calls, that the things around us want to distract us and distract us from the heart and the mind of God. And this weekend, I want to talk through with you God's call on us. So we've kind of set up shop here in Luke chapter 15. So if you want to open your Bibles up and go there, if you want to use the Bibles in the chairs, it's, uh, it's page 848. And we started talking about Luke chapter 15 a couple weeks ago. Let me just kind of remind us a little bit about the context of this. Jesus is teaching and he's teaching parables. A parable is just a story that Jesus would make up to teach a truth about himself or his father. And so it's kind of an illustration that he would come up with. And he's giving that parable. And he gives us three different parables here in Luke chapter 15. But I want to just remind you real quick who he's teaching this to originally Chapter 15, verse 1, Luke. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus kind of has two very different audiences here. He's got tax collectors and sinners in this context. Uh, Those would have been people who are, we would say, kind of far from God. And so they've either uh, betrayed their own people, they're a tax collector, or they're what the Bible sometimes would call a sinner, just somebody who's godless, doesn't know the prostitutes, the adulterers, the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that Jesus would often hang out with. And so that group of people is there, but they're curiously mixed together with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are the spiritual elites, right? They go to church all the time. They come to the earliest service on Saturday because they love Jesus the most. Like they do all those kind of things and they would have thought of themselves as the best of the best, the most educated of the educated, the most spiritual of the spiritual and they're mixed together then with these tax collectors and sinners. So when Jesus sees this mixed group What he does is he tells parables that addresses both of them. And the first two parables we looked at in some depth actually a couple weeks ago. That's online. There's the podcast. You can catch all that if you want. But those two first two parables involved a sheep and a coin. And so Jesus gives a parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd left the 99. He went after the one. And then he followed that with a parable of the lost coin. A lady had 10 coins. She lost one. She lit a lamp. She swept the house. She was finding that valuable coin. And so Jesus tells both of those things. And we said, that's the heart of the Father for us. He loves you. He's searching for you. He will not abandon you. You are valuable to him. And every human being needs to know that, that that is the heart of God and that is the mind of God. Jesus tells those two parables kind of in quick order and then after he tells about the 99 and the one and the nine and the one lost coin, he immediately goes into the third parable. And if you look in your Bibles there at Luke chapter 15, verse 11, 
you see Jesus tell the parable of what often is called the lost son or the prodigal son. So there was a lost sheep, there was a lost coin, and then there was a lost son. And I bet you if you're looking in a Bible or even on your online version, there's probably a heading right above verse 11 and it says the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. And if you grew up going to church or grew up going to Sunday school like some of us did, uh, you might have heard the parable of the prodigal son. And that label, that parable of the lost son of the prodigal son is a label that scholars put on that. That's not what Jesus called the parable. That's what just teachers and scholars called the parable so that we could quickly orient ourselves when we're reading our Bibles together. I would actually argue that this parable is not about the lost son. I would actually argue pretty strongly that the parable is about the lost sons. And one son very much reflected the tax collectors and the sinners, and the other son very much reflected the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and both of those sons were far from the heart of their father. Verse 11, Jesus continued, same setting. He says, there was a man who had two sons, not one, two sons. The younger one said uh, to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So he starts with the younger son, he says, this is a story about the younger son. And the younger son comes to his father, says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Uh, I want the money. And in the ancient world, this would have been a deeply painful insult to the father. In essence, the younger son is looking at his father and he is saying, Dad, I would like to just pretend you're dead. Uh, I want my inheritance. I don't really want to wait for you to die to get it. So can we just pretend that you're dead and you give me the money now that you would give me if you're dead and I'll go do whatever I want to go do with it. And the father agreed to this and he divided his property and he gave his younger son the portion of his inheritance that he would have got when his father died, the younger son then, verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth on wild living. The younger son took the blessings of the father. He rejected the heart and the love of the father and he actually used the blessings of the father to distance himself from the father. Now remember this is a parable. So Jesus is making a point, he's not simply telling a story. And to that crowd and to us through scripture, Jesus is looking and saying, you know, there are some of my children, because it's very important to remember these were both sons of the father. So this isn't some pagan, some godless person, some enemy of God, this was his son. And so Jesus is looking and saying, there are some of God's children who want all of the blessings of their father, but they do not want to hassle with the relationship with their father. 
They want God to bless them. In our culture today, we would probably say prosper them. But they don't want to know the Father, love the Father, or live in relationship with the Father. Right? And there are some who would claim to be children of God, and that would be something that we would struggle with. We would look at God, in essence, say, just give me the money so that I can go do what I want to go do, and I'll take the blessings of God, and I'll take the blessings of God to actually distance myself from God. And when I first taught this message, it was while I was traveling in these conferences, I was talking to a group of teenagers, and I said to them, I said, let me just see if this is true of you. I said, how many of you own a cell phone? Raise your hands, and they all raise their hands. And I said, what's a cell phone cost? Five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks if a good iPhone, right? And I said, how many of you own a laptop? And they, I raise your hands, they all raise their hands. And I said, what's a laptop cost? A thousand, eleven, twelve hundred bucks. I said, let's just pretend that between the cell phone and the laptop, that's a two thousand dollars of money that it takes to own those two things. And then I said, let me just ask you a question. How many of you gossip on it? How many of you are lost in social media? How many of you are addicted to pornography? How many of you use those two devices purposely and regularly on things that cause you to distance yourself from the heart of God? You know the average income, yearly income in Haiti is a little over $1,900. So we're wealthy and we look at our father Say, give me the money. Give me the money. Bless me. Bless me so that I can go do what I want to go do. Bless me more so I can get the lake house and I can get the blah, blah, and I can do the whatever. Bless me so that I'm actually not dependent. I don't want to be dependent on you. I just need your money to do it. Give me health. Give me, why? So that I can be free to do what I want to do. Oh, not, not to serve me or proclaim the gospel? No, no, no. I just, I want my hell so that I can bless me, bless me, bless me. But I don't want to be tied to you or embedded with you. I actually want you to bless me so that I can be free of you. And that's what the younger son was doing. Give me the money, Dad. And Dad gave him what he wanted. And he took it and he set off for a far distant country. And there he squandered it in wild living. Here's the temptation of the distant country. The temptation of the distant country is always to squander the blessing of the Father. And when God is so good to us, and he's so bountiful to us. And we uniquely as North Americans, I am not a guilty North American, but I am a grateful one. And what God gives us and gives us, and when we ask him for more and more, and I would like this instead, and he's faithful and faithful and faithful, what we will often do is take God's blessings and it will be the vehicle or the financing to get us further away from God. 
further out of biblical community, further in our own independence, and the temptation when we get there is always to squander the blessing, to use it on useless things, worthless things, even sinful things, things that do not reflect the heart or the passion of the Father who loved us so deeply and gave us the blessing in the first place. So the younger son does that. He goes off to the distant country. He squandered his wealth on wild living, verse 14. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to the citizens of that country, who sent him to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. In the far off distant country, when I am far removed from my father and my family, who loves me and cares for me, the great temptation is always to squander the wealth. And when I squander the wealth in the far off distant country and the money runs out, the citizens of that country are always, every time, gonna send me to the pigs. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter five that because we're in Christ, we no longer regard each other from a worldly point of view. What's a worldly point of view? A worldly point of view is a contractual point of view. If you do something for me, I will do something for you. You go to a restaurant, order a nice meal, you will have the most wonderful, kind uh, waiter or waitress that you might ever meet. But I dare you to duck out and not pay your bill and see how their attitude towards you changes. The citizens of the far off distant land have a value system. And that value system, that culture, is a value system of contractual relationships. Do for me or I'll do for you. That value system would look and say, as long as you are benefiting me, I will benefit you. And the minute that those blessings run out, you will be sent to the pigs and nobody will help you. When you're buying all the drinks, you're the life of the party. When the addiction takes over, the party moves on without you. When you agree with everybody, you're the greatest person on earth. When your conviction takes over, now you're hateful and cold and distant. When I'm far off from the Father and I use the blessings he gave me, to get me there, it's gonna run out. And when it runs out, and I turn to the very culture that I was living wildly in, that culture is not gonna embrace you, it's not gonna help you, it's not gonna invest in you, it's going to send you to live with the pigs. And that's exactly where this younger son wound up. Far from home, far from his father, 
having squandered the blessings of his father all alone with no one who will give him anything. Then verse 17, one of my favorite statements in the whole Bible. He's in the pigs. He's living with the pigs. He smells like a pig. He's trying to eat what the pigs eat. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, I love that one. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around his son and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And dad, verse 22, just basically ignored him. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a festival and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Guys, listen. There's all kinds of reasons, all kinds of reasons why we find ourselves in the distant country. Sometimes it's rebellion. Sometimes it's wandering away like a lost sheep. Sometimes other people took us there, hurt us, betrayed us, wounded us, and were lost under the floorboards of a house. But in that distant country, you're far away from the heart of your father. And in that distant country, you're always going to find pain. You're always going to find shallowness. You're always going to find emptiness. It's never going to fulfill you no matter how much money you throw at it. And either figuratively, financially, morally, or emotionally, you're gonna wind up with the pigs. And if you're there, and you look at yourself and say, wait a minute, I smell like a pig, I'm living like a pig, I'm eating like a pig, but in reality, I'm actually a son or daughter of God. Why am I in the pig pen? And Jesus says, you wanna know what your father's like? When you come to your senses and you go back to where you belong, you're a son, you're a daughter of God, you're not a pig. And you go back to where you belong, the father is thrilled. The lost sheep is found, the lost coin is found, the child comes home. And when you go back to God and you grovel, he's gonna look at you and say, mm, you're not a servant, you're not a pig, you're not a groveler, you're my child. And the issue isn't that you cease to be my child, the issue 
is that you went to a far off distant country and lived a life that you were not created to live. Come home. And I will welcome you and I will celebrate you. And this is exactly where you were created to be. And there were people in that crowd and in this one that Jesus knew were children of the king living in a pig pen. He says, you want to know what God's like? See, looking at you, saying, you know what you're going to do? You're going to spend three years, 30 days, 30 nights in a pig pen. No. Going to rub your nose in it? Crawl back here, we'll see if we'll let you in. Somebody hose him down and he can join the church. The robe, the sandals, the ring, it's all restoration stuff. And it's a celebration that my son is where he was meant to be. Now, how many sons were there? There's two. So there's a prodigal son, but then there's this other one. So they kill the fatted calf. That's an ancient equivalent of ordering sushi. And so they have a party, they put on some music, everybody's excited, they wash the pig off of him. Verse 25, same parable. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? Your, your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Look at verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And we gotta go back to the ancient world for a second. In the ancient world, the way that a family worked was this way. In our world right now, it's, it's father, mother, and then children, right? And father and mothers are kind of seen as, is one thing. If I got hit by a bus tonight, Heidi would just get everything, right? If we both pass away, then we get into the kids. But it would just transfer, right, back and forth between Heidi and I, father and mother. The ancient world didn't work that way. It was father, oldest son, then sons in the order of age, then daughters, then mother. It's the way it worked. I didn't say I liked it. I'm just saying it's the way it worked, okay? So the older brother, the oldest son, has a very, very unique role in the ancient family. And one of the roles of the older brother, the idea was this, was that he learned the family trade. The idea was that he was more mature, he's the older brother, and that he could represent the father. It was very common in the ancient world that the oldest son would serve as an ambassador for the father as if the father himself were making his appeal through his son. And one of the roles that the oldest son would hold in an ancient family is they would hold the role of being a reconciler or a restorer. So in the ancient world, if a younger child or any child rebelled said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'm taking your blessing. I'm going off to distant land. It was actually the role of the oldest son to go after 
the brother, to bring the brother home and to help bring about restoration between the father and the brother. And the brother's heart, the older brother's heart, was to reflect the restorative nature of the heart of the father. The father wanted to restore a relationship with his younger son, and the older brother was to have the heart of the father. So what's the father doing? The father's at the door, he's watching, he sees his son, he, goes, he runs out, hugs him, kisses him, gets pig smell on him, restores him, ring, flip-flops, bring me the robe, somebody kill the cow, we're having a party, my son who was dead has now come home. The older brother is in the field, and when he finds out that restoration has happened between the younger brother and the father, instead of reflecting the heart of the father or rejoicing at what the father would rejoice at, he resents it. And he becomes angry. And he refuses to go into the house. Can you imagine a scenario in your life where somebody who you know and who you love came to your home and was so angry at you that when you said, come in, let's talk about this, they said, I'm not walking into your house. It's a deep insult, it's a painful insult, and it's an abandonment of his role as the older son. Now I want you to see something. What's God like? Because Jesus is describing God in this parable. Does God look at him and say, oh, you wanna go? I'll go. I'll go right now. Because I'm the father. And you better learn your place, boy. And who are you to, was that the attitude of the father? What did the father do? He became angry, the older son did, and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Isn't that fascinating? The father goes after the younger brother who just rebelled. And the father goes after the older brother who's self-righteous. And both the boys had moved away from their father's heart. And the father's heart toward both of the boys was to restore. The Bible uses the word reconcile to rescue them back to himself. The older son makes his complaint. Father, all these years I've been slaving. You never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not this brother of mine, when this son of yours, he comes home and he goes and he, burns the money, squanders your property on prostitutes. You kill the fatted calf for him you have at the party. Verse 31, my son, my father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your bro this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. The father's heart is to reconcile his relationship with the younger son who rebelled. 
And the father's heart is to reconcile or restore his relationship with the older son who's being self-righteous. And both of those boys had moved away from their father's heart. And both of those boys were pursued by their father. One kind of knew it, and it took a minute for the other one to get it. Now it's interesting what the Apostle Paul says, Second Corinthians chapter five. He kind of grabs hold of this idea of reconciliation. I love this passage. We talk about it a lot here at Grace. And Paul talks about how we've been restored or made right with God. And then he says in verse 18, chapter five, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to sinners and tax collectors. Some of them would have grown up with truth. Some of them would have heard about the love of God. Some of them would have known the Old Testament and the truth of who even Christ is in the Old Testament. And they would have taken the blessing and they would have squandered it. And Jesus is looking at that group of sinners and tax collectors and he's saying, you need to be reconciled to God. You need to be restored. You need to be made right. And your father's not angry with you. He's not gonna zap you. He's not gonna make something horrible happen in your life. You just need to come to your senses and come home. You're a child of God that's living like a pig. Just come home. And in the same parable, he's gonna look at these Pharisees and teachers of the law people who know the Bible inside and out, people who understand Christian subculture, people who have all the cliches down. They got the t-shirts, they got the Thomas Kincaid paintings, they, they, they got it all, right? And he's looking at them and saying, you need to come home because you have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation and you have abandoned that ministry. One of the reasons why Christ saves us, why he rescues us, is so that we can be a rescuer. I'm rescued in order to be a rescuer. The role of the older brother is entrusted to the one who calls himself a believer. God would look and say, there's some that you need to be reconciled to me. You're way, way far out there and you can come to your senses and come to me, take my hand and be back in relationship with me. You need to do that. But this ministry of reconciliation as if Christ himself were making his appeal through me, now is entrusted to everyone who says that they're a follower of Christ. And just as you have taken the hand of God, you now reach your hand out to the one who is lost. You're not the sheep, you're the shepherd reaching for the sheep. You're not the coin, you're the lady looking for the coin. You're not the younger brother, you're the older brother. And there's people that don't know God and they don't love Christ, but they do know you and they do love you. And you are the conduit 
see, between them and God, and it's your role. And if that role is a role that I have grown to despise, those people that I don't want to be around, that person that I wish was out of my life, those generational people, you know, the old ones or the young ones or whichever ones you want to pick. And instead of serving as a bridge to the Father, we're not in the pig pen. We're not squandering our, our wealth on wild living and prostitutes. We're just in the field doing Christian stuff. I went to a concert. I volunteered a little bit. I helped out. I haven't started smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls to do cheering for Michigan like my little brother did. But I didn't go after him or anybody else who doesn't know my father. When I was out this summer, hung out with teenagers a lot. They're my favorite people on the planet. They're just more fun than you guys are. I just, being honest with you, they dance when we sing. They're great. They'll say whatever they want to think. You know, it's just awesome. I love hanging out with them. I saw a generation that's desperate. I said a couple weeks ago, I asked them how many of them had seriously contemplated suicide in the last 18 months. I'd say 50% of the hands went up. I said, do you know a friend who has? I'd say 100% of the hands went up. I asked them, who, who in here is addicted to pornography? They'll answer you. They're, they don't have any qualm. They're like, me. Who's sexually confused? All of us. Who knows a friend that's not sure if they're a boy or a girl? We all do. Who isn't certain about whether your family's stable? We're not. Who's scared about the future? All of us. And one of the things I love about teenagers is they'll just say what you're thinking. Because if I asked those questions and we were being honest and bold, our hands would go up the exact same way. They're never gonna hear about the hope of Jesus on social media. I put up an image of Christ. Actually, that was a Star Wars guy. He just looks like Jesus a little bit and just don't, don't share stuff, right? I put a statement out. Yeah, nobody read it or cares. They're not gonna run into Christ. They're not gonna run into Christ in the schools. Oh, I knew those public schools. Public schools aren't supposed to teach about Jesus. Leave them alone. Why is, that, why is that surprising? Most of them aren't going to learn about Christ at home. So who goes and gets them? Who's going to love the difficult person in your life if you won't? <laughs> Who's going to go searching for the friend 
that used to be so into Jesus, but you haven't seen him forever if you don't? Who's going to consider a person so valuable that they would light the lamp and scrub the house just looking for that person? If the ones who have been entrusted to act like, talk like, think like, love like the Father don't. And in this parable, Jesus is looking at followers of his that are entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation and he's saying, son, daughter, if you find yourself in the pig pen, what are you doing? Come home. And son, daughter, if you find yourself in the field instead of in the house. I wrote this. The father yearns for the sinner and the self-righteous to come home. The heart, the mind, the passion of Christ must be reflected in his followers. Right? And in a desperate world who has abandoned all truth, the light of the world, the city on the hill, the salt of the earth. We must embrace the heart of the Father who welcomes and searches so that we can live out and reflect the heart that he came to give us. All right. Maybe this weekend we can do this. Maybe bow your heads, just close your eyes for a minute. The band will move around a little bit and come up to get ready to lead us. I wonder if you would just take a moment and pray. If you're far from God, what Jesus wants you to know about his Father is he loves you. And he wants you to come home. If you're in the field, isolated, you don't smell like a pig, you're just not where you're supposed to be. But Jesus wants you to know about your father is he wants you to come home. And maybe turning and repenting and asking God's forgiveness asking for a renewed passion that comes from his heart. And asking God even to bring to mind the person or people that you need to pursue. Jesus, would you help us in these still moments? Would you reach into our hearts? Would you help us to come to our senses, convict us of sin? Would you humble us, God, to see that we were the sheep 
And would you empower us and envision us to see that now we are the shepherd. We're like you. We pursue that which was lost. And in this time, God, this time where we're kind of resetting lives after a long year and a half, would you draw us to those that need your love? that need your truth, that you have sent us to, you put us in our, their lives for that reason. And when you give us the boldness, the courage, and the mercy and the grace, God, to with gentleness and respect, but boldness, share the love of who you are. Push through us now, convict us now, even in these times, Jesus. And let us love as you have loved us.